Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever said these words, I quit? Have you said them? Have you said them recently? Have you ever had, I see some elbowing, I see some head shakes, right? Have you ever been to that moment where you're like, if this is the way it's going to be, then I'm done. If, I'm, if this is the struggle, if this is the deal, if this, if this is the way it is, I quit. I think all of us have been in that moment where we get to the end of it, where it feels like we keep hitting the wall. It feels like we're not making any progress. It feels like this is never going to work out. And finally, we get to that moment where we're like, all right, I'm done. I'm done with this. I quit. And I think sometimes it doesn't actually happen out loud. It's not necessarily that moment where you walk into your boss's office and you're like, you can't fire me, I quit. And I'm at, right? We've all seen those, those moments in movies, right? It's not, it's not usually like that. Usually it's internally. It's internally where there's something that's been frustrating us and something that just, just has been under our skin. And it's one of those things that just keeps nagging at us over and over and over and over and over again. And, and sometimes it's where we thought we'd be further. Sometimes it's where we thought we would never have to deal with this again. And yet it keeps rearing its head. It keeps coming up. And there comes that moment when we're like, I'm done. I'm out of here. I quit. A couple months ago, Right around New Year's, uh, we, we gathered together to start the new year, and we looked at this little book in the Old Testament that's literally, in my Bible, like two pages long. And so it's one of those that's really hard to find unless you look it up, but it's a little book called Haggai. And sort of the background of Haggai is that in the Old Testament, there's a king named Solomon that created this unbelievable temple. He, he built this giant temple. It's called the House of God. It was decked out in gold. It was immaculate. And this is where God would meet with his people. And it was so unbelievable that people throughout the world talked about it. I mean, people would travel hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles, and they would show up just to be in that place, to see it, and to be in God's presence. Well, what happened is after Solomon died... The nation of Israel did what they often did when they didn't have a strong leader. They begin to wander. They begin to worship false gods. They begin to just walk away from God. And so they begin to blend in with the world. And because of that, God allowed them to come under attack. And so in the Old Testament, there's one of the passages is found in the book of Daniel where a guy named King Nebuchadnezzar comes into the land and he takes them hostage. He basically takes over the nation of Israel. He, he takes hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of them, and he takes them into captivity back in Babylon, about a thousand miles away. And so for 50 years, the nation of Israel is in bondage. For 50 years, they're in slavery. For 50 years, they're in, ba- in Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar goes into Jerusalem. He goes into that city. He destroys the houses. He burns down their places, and he destroys the temple of God. So when the people of Israel hear this, their heart is broken. And this magnificent building that's the meeting place of God, this unbelievable building that people would travel from all over the world to see, it's now gone. And so for those 50 years that they're in bondage in Babylon, they're praying one prayer. God, would you break us out? God, would you release us? God, Please let us go back home. And when we go back home, we'll rebuild your house for your name. And so for 50 years, that's their one prayer. 
And so finally, after 50 years, God allows them to go home. So what ends up happening in sort of the background of Haggai is that 50,000 of them get to go back home. They go back to Jerusalem. And when they get back home, they say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to rebuild the house of God. We're going to put it back together. This is no longer going to be a laughing stock to the people around us. This is going to be amazing. So they get back. They start building it. They start laying the bricks. They start building the first altar. And about two years into the project, some of their enemies start pushing back on it. Some of their enemies, the Samaritans, start, start getting under their skin. And so after 50 years of praying, God, let us go back. Let us build your house. After 50 years, they get two years into the project. And because of discouragement, because of pushback, they quit. They stop. And so for about 14 years, instead of building God's house, they work on their own houses. So in Haggai chapter 1, God raises up this amazing prophet, this amazing leader who shows up and he begins to say to them, is this the time to build your house? Is this the time to put your comfort before God's calling? Is this the time for you to forget my house and what you are here to do? And so God does in chapter 1 what he does in, heart, in our hearts. He stirs up their hearts. He stirs up their hearts. He says, this is the time to rebuild my house. And so Haggai says this to the people. The people get excited again. Oh, yeah, that's why we returned. That's why we're back here. We came back to rebuild the house of God. Let's do it. So after 14 years of hitting the pause button, they start resuming. They start laying the bricks. They start building the temple. And then 30 days later, they quit again. Have you ever been there? I hear a laugh of truth. We've been there, haven't we? I mean, think about New Year's. and New Year's, we're all excited, right? We're like, this is going to be a great year. This is going to be the year I get into shape. It's going to be great. I'm going to go to the gym, and thank goodness there's a Zaxby's right in front of my gym. So if I get tired of staring at the Stairmaster, I'm just going to go and get a salad, Right? Or we, we're like, all right, this is the year I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to clean up my eating. So I'm going to eat healthy, but then I end up at Publix and the double stuff Oreos are half price. And I'm like, could that be any more of a sign? Let me pray about it. Yes, amen. I would like a case of those, right? We've been there, right? Where, where we have great intentions, where there's something we're going to do differently. And then sometimes it's 30 days later. Sometimes it's three minutes later. On Friday night, we're at some friend's house, and man, it was, it was just a fun time catching up, and I've been trying to watch what I'm eating, and then like 30 seconds into, uh, into our snack, I'm like, all right, there's ice cream, let me pray about it, yes, amen, and in like 30, you know, three minutes, I'm done, right? Give me that, right? We all have those moments where, 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 where there's something we said we'd do, there's something that we said, this is going to be different, and then at some point, discouragement begins to rear its ugly head, and it causes us, even if it's not out loud, even if it's just internally, to say, I quit. If this is the way it's going to be at work, I'm done. If this is the way it's going to be with my boss, I quit. If this is the way it's going to be in my family, I'm done. I've been trying. I've been doing my thing. I've been faithful. And yet it's just not working. So it would be easier for me to just say, I'm done. And that's what they do in Haggai 2. After 30 days of trying, at one of their festivals, one of their times of worship rolls around. And they look at where they're at and they begin to say, man, this just isn't working. We're done. 
And some of us, that's where we're at today. If that's where you're at, if you're at that moment where you're like, I'm, I'm ready to quit, I'm ready to throw in the towel, I'm ready just to walk away, I'm ready to cut my losses, I'm ready to pick up and do something else. If that's where you're at today, I hope today will be encouraging to you. In fact, if you've got a bulletin on your way in, if you're a note taker type, I, I mentioned this a few months ago that I'm, I'm like a list kind of guy. And so I know some of you, you'd rather just draw on your bulletin. If you want to do that and play tic-tac-toe, that's all right. I'm not going to call you out from up here. But if you're a note taker, I'm going to invite you to write down a couple of truths today because I think there's something God wants to say to us from Haggai chapter two that before we quit. And the first one is number one, if you're a note taker, number one, we need to spot the fight. If we're going to quit quitting, if we're going to keep from quitting, if we're going to quit, if we're going to keep from just walking away and saying I'm done, it starts with, number one, us spotting the fight. We've got to identify what is the thing that's getting under my skin. What is that thing that's causing me to want to walk away? What is that thing that's like just just friction against my soul that I feel like I can't do this another time. I can't put up with this another time. I can't walk. What is that thing? Because oftentimes we never identify it. Oftentimes we never give it a name. And when you don't give something a name, it can go underneath the surface of our life. It can go underneath the radar of our, of our lives where it begins to leak its way into our life. And it causes us to be down. It causes us to be pessimistic. It causes us to want to quit, but we don't really identify it. So if you're looking at Haggai 2, here's what it says in verse 3. After 30 days of this God stirring their hearts and, and, and they're reminded, yes, we need to rebuild the house After 30 days and they're like, we're done, we quit. Here's what God says to them. Haggai 2, verse 3. God looks at them and he says, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? See, most scholars would say that Haggai was about 70, 75 years old when he wrote this. So you backtrack to 50 years of captivity. He was alive when Solomon's temple was still intact. He saw, and there was a group of people that saw its former glory. They, they saw Solomon's temple. It's amazing. It's unbelievable. It's, it's a wonder of the world. And so God asked him, verse 3, Who is left who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it nothing in your eyes? In fact, in Ezra chapter 3, this is sort of a parallel passage. In Ezra chapter 3, from another perspective, Ezra says that when they looked at their current project, when they looked at their current uh, construction, that there was the older crowd and the younger crowd. The younger crowd, when they start seeing the temple, the, the foundation being laid and the, and the first altar being built, the younger crowd starts celebrating, Hey, this is going to be great. This is going to be awesome. This is going to be unbelievable. And Ezra says, at the very same time, the older people that remembered the former temple, while the younger people are celebrating, the older ones begin to weep out loud. So there's this chaotic moment where where some people are celebrating. This is going to be awesome. This is going to be great. And, And the older people begin to cry because it just doesn't look like it's going to turn out well. And that's one of the biggest things that I think causes discouragement in all of our lives is we, we live in this tension of the past and the present where, 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 where it's easy to think, well, everything behind me was better. It's easy to become pessimistic and to think, think, man, I wish I could rewind. I wish I could go back to the good old days. And we begin to think, we begin to idolize the past and we miss what God's doing in the present. 
And because of that, discouragement begins to rear its head. And it causes us to want to quit. And it causes us to want to walk away and to stop it. Number one, it starts with spotting it and calling it out. Now, there's a lot of things that cause discouragement. There's a lot of things that cause us to want to quit. But I think there are two big ones. The first one's comparison. And the second one is a lack of progress. Comparison and lack of progress. Comparison is anytime we judge our worth against some standard that God never intended for us to judge it by. Comparison is anytime we look at somebody else's life, and here's what we do in comparison, we always make their life better than it probably really is. We take the highlight reel of their life. We look at their Instagram, we look at their Facebook, we listen to the stories they tell at work, and it's easy to put them on a pedestal and think, their life is so great and my life is not. I mean, think about how comparison causes discouragement. For guys, they're like, man, look at that guy. He's got an unbelievable house. Look at his car. His car is amazing. Uh, look, he's taking his third trip of the year already. And, and, and then when you look at my life, you look at my house. I live in a neighborhood that's kind of rough around the edges. I, I drive a car that you got to put a, a quart of oil in it every 500 miles, right? And, 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 and it looks like his life is great and my life is so little. Or ladies, you do it as well. Maybe it's not on the same level, but maybe it's when you begin to compare, compare your kids. You're like, man, it's Sunday morning, and every time I see that family, their kids are so well-behaved, and they're wearing matching clothes, and, and their daughter actually keeps her bow in her hair the entire morning. I mean, look at their kids. They're so amazing. I mean, their third grader, he's got it together. Their fourth grader is already dual enrolled and has 12 hours in college credit already. What? <laughs> I mean, the son that's on the travel team, he's already being recruited while my kid, he, he flunked in P.E. What's up with that? Striking out at T-ball, that's embarrassing. But that's what comparison does. Comparison is their life is so great, their life is so awesome, while my life isn't. And here's the problem with that is in comparison, you don't know what their life is really like. You don't know what they're really facing. You don't know what their internal, so all you're seeing is the highlight reel of their life. You're not seeing the mundane moments of your, I heard somebody say this probably a year ago at a meeting I was in. He said, never compare your beginning with somebody else's ending. Never compare somebody else's highlight reel with your day-to-day life because that's just not fair. That just doesn't work. But comparison, it goes underneath the surface. It goes underneath our life. And we buy into this lie where we think my goal is to be better than everybody else. My goal is to be faster. My goal is to make more money than everybody else, have the bigger house than everybody else, have more toys than everybody else. And we buy into this lie that life is a competition. It's almost like we think there's some, some race that we're running that sometime in history there was a starting line and some angel fired the gun and we all took off and we thought our goal is to get ahead, get ahead, get ahead, get ahead, get ahead, get ahead of everybody else. And we bought into this lie that this life is about competing when in all reality this life is not about competing. It's about completing the will of God for your life. It's about doing what God has called you to do. But man, comparison rips that apart. Comparison. The second one is the lack of progress. 
the lack of progress. These people, man, when you look at verse 3 and you think about the background of the, the, the younger celebrating and the older weeping, these guys are looking at their progress and they're thinking, man, I thought we would have been further than we are now. I thought we would have beyond this by now. I, I, I thought the temple would be shaping up by now, but look at how little we've done. And so quickly they get discouraged because they're comparing with the former temple. They're comparing their current project with the completed project of Solomon. And they become discouraged because they're not making the progress they thought they would. And so often we do that in our life where we thought, man, I, I, I thought I'd be further along by now. I, 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 I thought I, I, you know, in my faith, I thought I would have owned my faith by now. In this area where I'm struggling, I, I, I thought I would have been over the sin by now. Or in my marriage, I, I thought we would have turned a corner in my marriage. Or I, I thought we'd be at a certain place in my life. And we get so discouraged because here's what we find is that true change and things that are meaningful often take time. They do. Anything that's worth anything takes time. And in our culture that just wants to microwave everything, in our culture that wants to fast food everything and get it now, God says, no, it, true change takes time. And the easiest thing for us to do is just to walk away. The easiest thing is to say, well, I quit. The easiest thing is to say, man, I'm done with this. But before you do that, number one, spot the fight. Identify that struggle. What is it that's nagging at you? What is it that, that's unfinished in your life? What is it that's causing you to want to walk away? What is it? Because if you don't name it, it's going to keep ruling you. If you don't identify it, you can't stop it. If you don't see areas of comparison in your life, you'll allow it to, to run amok, and it'll cause you to become discontent with where you're at and distrusting of God. You get to the moment where no matter how good things are, no matter how great what God is doing in your life is, no matter how faithful he is, when you get discouraged, you're tempted to distrust them and think my life would be easier, my life would be better, my life would be more fulfilling if I was someplace else. But the truth is, God can't bless you where you're not. The truth is, God can't work in you where you're not. We buy into this lie of comparison and lack of progress. We start thinking, man, my life would be better in a different house. My, my marriage would be better with a different spouse. My life would be better if I had a different job, if I had different kids. And we start playing this thing out, and the truth is, God's not in that. So before you quit, number one, spot the fight. And then number two, if you're a note taker, just jot this down. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. I love how practical God is. If, if you weren't here a couple months ago when we looked at Haggai chapter 1, in Haggai 1, when they first got back and they, and they had paused their construction progress, part of their problem was, we don't know what to do. We don't know what to do. We don't know. This seems so huge. This seems hard. We don't know what to do. And so back in chapter 1, I love how practical God is. Again, there's lists in that. God shows up to them and he says, all right, you don't know what to do. Here's what you do. Number one, go up into the mountain. Number two, cut down the trees. And number three, build my house. <laughs> I love that. They're like, I don't know what to do. That's hard. And guys, I know it's hard, but go up into the mountains, cut down the trees and build my house. What do we do? What do we do? What do? Here's what you do. Go up in the mountain, cut down the trees and build my I don't know if y'all find that as funny as I do, but I think that's awesome. God's super practical. 
Well, here we are in Haggai 2. They've started the process 30 days in. We're not making the progress we thought. It's not shaping up to look like the old temple. We're done. We're out of here. And I love what God does. Look, look back in Haggai chapter 2 if you have it. If you're in the, in the notes, you can follow along. Haggai 2 verse 3. Who is left among you who saw the house in its former glory? Who remembers how great it was? There's a lot of people in the crowd that remembered it. How do you see it now? Is it nothing in your eyes? So they're discounting what, what the current temple looks like. Then listen to verse 4. And see if this doesn't stand out to you. In verse 4, he says, Yet now, be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Look at this next phrase. Be strong, O Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak. Look at this next one, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord. Do you, do you see the pattern there? Do you see that? Anytime you see words that are repeated in Scripture, that's a big clue. That's a big, that's a reminder. Hey, don't miss this. Don't, don't overlook this. Don't, don't miss what I'm saying. I love how God says this. In verse 4, he says to the governor of the land, be strong. He says to the high priest, Joshua, be strong. He turns to the rest of the people. He says to all the people, be strong. And then what? Work. I love how practical that is because in discouragement, we think I would rather quit. In discouragement, we think I would rather walk away. In our discouragement, we think I'm done with this. I'm done fighting this battle. I'm out of here. And here's what God says, be strong and do the work. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't pretend that the grass don't, don't think it's going to be greener somewhere else because it rarely is. He says, here's what you do when you're discouraged and you're tempted to quit. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to do the last thing that I asked you to do. I want you to keep picking up stones and putting them down. I want you to pick up another stone and I want you to put it down. I want you to keep building my temple, keep being strong and keep doing the work. And I'm like, but, but it... But it doesn't compare to the old temple. I don't care. I'll, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pick up another stone, and I want you to put it down. And then I want you to pick up another stone, and I want you to put it, and I want you to pick up another one, and put it, keep doing the work. But our progress is so slow. I mean, we're still struggling. I, I don't care. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to be strong, and I want you to do the work. And here's the good news. You see this phrase over and over and over throughout the Old Testament where God shows up in the lives of leaders and he says, be strong, be strong, be courageous, be strong, be strong. And he tells them this counsel. And here's the good news. As a New Testament believer, we don't have to come up with that strength ourselves. In fact, the New Testament teaches us that it's in our weakness that his strength is seen strongest. So here's what happens. God says to them over and over again, be strong, be strong, be strong. No, notice, just take a moment and notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, talk the talk. He says, be strong and do the work. He doesn't say, complain to everybody else about your, no, no, no. He says, be strong and do the work. He doesn't say, dream the dreams, dream the dreams. No, he says, be strong and do the work. He doesn't say, compare your results to somebody else. No, he says, be strong and do the work. He doesn't say, give up and quit. He says, be strong and do the work. Don't stop. Don't let discouragement to short circuit what God is doing in your life, even when you don't see progress, even when it doesn't compare. He says, be strong and do the work. 
And what this, remind, this reminds me of a powerful principle. I heard somebody say once, they said, you overestimate what you can accomplish in a day and you underestimate what you can accomplish in a lifetime. That's why we get so frustrated because we think it's got to be quick. Right? Here's what happens oftentimes. We live for ourselves for so long. We do our own thing for so long. We, we live rebelliously for so long. And then we come to one service, one hour, and we think, all right, if I pray one prayer, then everything's going to be perfect. That's not the way it is. We underestimate what happens in a lifetime of faithfulness. If you're taking notes, here's the principle I would love for you to write down. Extraordinary people, extraordinary people do consistently what ordinary people do occasionally. I've been living with that for a few weeks now. Extraordinary people do consistently what ordinary people do occasionally. And so the secret of all of this isn't to quit. The secret isn't to to say, well, I'm going to go and do something else. The secret is to say, you know what, I'm going to stay faithful. Even when I don't see the payoff, even when it doesn't compare, even when it feels like I'm not making progress, I'm going to stay faithful. I'm going to put down another stone. I'm going to do the work. I'm going to pick up another stone in the strength of God, and I'm going to do the work. I'm going to keep doing the last thing that God asked me to do. I'm going to keep showing up at work and giving my best, even if the rest of my team is. I'm going to pick up a stone, and I'm going to do the work. I'm going to keep loving the people around me, even when they feel unlovable. I'm going to pick up a stone, and I'm going to do the work. I'm going to keep hacking away at debt this year, even if it's it's just $10 a month. I'm going to keep picking up a stone and doing the work. I'm going to give my best in all the relationships in my life. I'm going to pick up another stone and I'm going to do the work. I'm going to keep loving my spouse even when it feels like maybe they're not responsive to it. I'm going to keep picking up a stone and I'm going to do the work. I'm going to keep loving my kids even when they're unlovable. I'm going to keep praying for my kids even when it seems like the prayers aren't going to be heard. I'm going to stand by my kids even when it feels like they've done something that I'm disappointed with. I'm going to pick up another stone and I'm going to do the work. You see how powerful that is? Say, I'm going to stay where God has placed me. I'm going to finish what God has started until he tells me to do something else. I'm going to keep doing the last thing that he's asked me to do. I'm going to pick up a stone and I'm going to do the work. See, I think we quit too easily. We give up so quickly. We quit praying for things that only God can do too soon. We, there's ministries that haven't been started. There, there's people that need to be reached. There, there, there are things that are unfinished in this world when we don't pick up the stone and do the work. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking to a buddy of mine that has been a good friend over the years, but there's, there's always this discontentment in him. Every time I talk to him, there's always this sense of he needs to be someplace else doing something else. And so I was talking to him, and, and I, you know, honestly, I don't know the whole backstory, but what I do know is every time over the years I've known him, every time I see him, there's always this sense of restlessness. So he's describing a situation where he's in something that God called him to do. He's doing something that clearly is of God, and yet yet he begins to question it. Is this where I need to be? Is that Should I be looking for something else? Should I be doing something else? And this passage was just inside of me, and I was trying not to turn into preacher mode where I was like, all right, pull out a pen and paper, write down these, right? You know what I'm saying? I just wanted to say, this is the counsel. Be strong and do the work. And if anybody needs to hear this passage, it's me. 
I'm not good at identifying emotions in my life. In my life, Laura, my wife, she grew up in, a, in an awesome family. My family's great. We're just not very emotional. My, my dad never showed much emotions. My granddad never, you know, so I'm sort of, in a lot of ways, I'm emotionally flatlined, right? I'm, it could be a great day, and Chuck will be like, How, how's it going? Good, <laughs> right? I mean, I'm just not super expressive in day-to-day life, and uh, and, and so for me, I'm not great at spotting this stuff. That's why, why I think this message is so helpful for me personally is because in a lot of ways, I think I live with a low grade of discouragement. When I start looking at this, there's the sense of I know how much there could be. I know what should be, what, what I believe in God for, and yet I see what's going on, and I think, man, 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 why, why isn't it going any faster? Here's a great example. So we're right in the middle of a semester of groups. And one of the things I'm so passionate about is I love it when we come into this service and I love it when we're together. But what I've seen too often is when people never connect in a smaller group of people and they never meet friends, they never study the Bible together, they never do life together. And then what eventually happens is life happens. There's an unexpected illness, there's a struggle, there's something. And if all that happens is they come into this room and they leave right after the service and they never connect with anybody, that goes undetected to the church and that breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. Because I've seen firsthand the last two weeks, one of my buddies, his wife is, is dealing with some challenges with her dad. And man, he told me on Friday morning, he said, our group has showed up in a big way. And so on one hand, I'm excited. I'm excited that we've got more adults connected in small groups than ever. I I get excited that there's over 550, 600 people that are connected in groups, adults connected in groups. But at the same time, I'm still discontent because I think every adult that comes in and out of these doors ought to be in a group. And so there's this, this discouragement inside of me. Or when it comes to preaching, I start comparing where, where I have one of those Sundays where it just feels like the words just are bouncing off of people and it's, not, it's clear in my head, but it's not coming out clearly. And so no matter what God does in the room, I can walk out and I can just beat myself up. I can't believe you said that. I can't believe you stutter there. I can't believe. And, and I start living with that discouragement. And I'm telling you, that's not healthy because God's not the author of that. God's not looking down comparing us to somebody else. God's not looking down and, and saying, why can't you be more like this person? Why can't you look more like them? And scripture, scripture teaches that when God looks down at us, we're like little blades of grass in the morning dew where each one of them takes on the light differently. So what do you do when you're tempted to quit? What do you do? Do you, do you just want, no, you got to spot the fight. Name it for what it is. Number two, we've got to stay faithful and say, I'm going to keep doing the last thing that God asked me to do. And then number three, I need to surrender my future. I need to surrender my future. This is the great tension because oftentimes we live with regret from things we did in the past. Or often we sit in the present and we've got anxiety and just this discontentment. And we've got fear of the future. But listen to what God says to them. He says in verse 4, yet be strong, Zerubbabel. Middle of verse 4, be strong, Joshua. The end of verse 4, be strong, people of the land, declares the Lord, work. And then listen to this next phrase, for I am with you. Right behind God's command to be strong is his promise because I am with you. I'm with you. That's a huge promise because to Old Testament believers, they thought the only time they were with God is when they traveled to the temple. 
That's why it being destroyed was such a big deal. They thought, if I'm going to be near God, I need to travel to Jerusalem, to the center of town, and I've got to be near the temple. And when I get to the temple, there's the outer court, the inner court, and there's all these different levels and layers. And so for them, they thought, man, I've got to travel to the temple, and then once a year, I've got to take a sacrifice with me. And hopefully when I come to the temple, and hopefully when I give the sacrifice, hopefully God will accept me. But when you fast forward to the New Testament, God completes that picture. In the Old Testament, I got to bring a sacrifice. I got to try to come close to God. I got to bring it. I got to bring a sacrifice to Him. In the New Testament, God brings His own sacrifice in His Son, Jesus. And when Jesus died on the cross, the curtain in the temple that separated the holy place from everybody else was ripped into from top to bottom, symbolizing that God doesn't live in the temple. He lives inside of his people. And so the great promise of God is when we're discouraged. The great promise of God is when we're tempted to quit. Is that God's not just with us, that God is in us. That if you know Christ personally, the greatest thing that you have going for you is you are God's address. It's not about what's my pay scale. It's no longer about how big is my house? It's no longer about, did all my kids turn out the way I thought? It becomes, if you know Christ personally, the greatest thing that you have going for you is that you are God's address. The presence of God has stepped out of heaven and stepped into your heart and he lives inside of you. And so when you're tempted to quit, remember that God is there with you. When you're tempted to give up and to think, man, I can't do this again. I can't pick up another stone again. To remember, God is with you. He is in you. You are God's address. Out of all the places that God could have chosen to live, he chooses to live in you. You're God's address. Listen to what God says. He says at the end of verse four, for I am with you. Verse six, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens. The middle uh, or beginning of verse seven, he says, and I will shake the nations. The middle of verse seven, and I will fill the house. And verse nine, the later glory of this house shall be greater than the former glory, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace. Did they really think they could build this themselves? Did they really think they could construct something that was worthy of the presence of God and the glory of God? They couldn't do it. So God reminds them, I'm the one that's gonna do it in it, in you, and I'm gonna do it through you. And so today, if you're tempted to say I quit, today if you're tempted to say I'm done, today if you're just frustrated and you're losing confidence and you're losing heart, would this be the day that instead of saying I quit, instead of saying I'm done, would you allow this be the day that you say, I surrender. The frustration, I surrender. The disappointment, I surrender. My anxiety over the future, I surrender. My pain from the past, I 
surrender it. That thing that, that I'm dealing with that nobody else knows about, I surrender. That thing that's been gnawing at me ever since I, I surrender. That thing that I'm so disappointed in, I surrender. That thing that I thought I'd be further than, I surrender. Instead of holding on to it, would you allow this day to be the day that you raise the white flag and say, I can't do it myself. I surrender. Would you pray with me this morning? Would you pray? As we pray this morning, if you're watching online, you can pray with us. This morning as I pray, I'd love to ask you to help me to know how to pray for you. Is there anybody here this morning that would just say, Bobby, this is where I'm living. I'm living in a state of discontentment with a low-grade discouragement. Maybe it's not low-grade. You're just like, I'm discouraged. I'm done. Maybe it's something I mentioned or maybe it's something I didn't even touch on, but you know what it is. And you'd say, Bobby, pray for me that I could find strength today. Pray for me that I could be faithful in doing what God's asked me. If that's you and you'd allow me to pray for you, would you just slip your hands straight up in the air and just straight up in the air? You just say, that's me. That's, that's where I'm at. Would you pray for me that I could find strength and that I could be faithful. Yeah, anybody else? Anybody else? Yeah. That's many of us. That's many of us. If that's you, would you pray this part of the prayer with me? Would you say, dear Jesus, I pray that you would help me to be strong. God, you know I'm weak. I'm fragile. But you tell me in my weakness, you're made strong. Help me to find your strength today. Help me to keep showing up. Help me to not quit. Help me to do the work. Just pray that in your own words. As we continue praying, is there anybody this morning that would say, Bobby, I'm not sure if Christ lives in me. I'm not sure if there's ever been a moment that he saved me and he's forgiven me and he's stepped out of heaven and stepped into my heart like you talked about. I'm not sure that's ever happened. Maybe you've been to church or maybe this is your first time to be at church and you should be honest and say, I'm not sure if there's ever been that moment where Jesus has become the savior, the Lord of my life, but I know that he needs to be. If that's you and you'd allow me to pray for you, would you do the same thing? Just slip your hand very quietly, very, uh, just lift your hand in the air so I can pray for you this morning. Just say, Bobby, pray for me. I'm not sure I know him like that. Yeah. If that's you, would you pray this part of the prayer with me? Because here's the thing. When I say do the work, this is the one place you can't do the work. What gets us right with God is not the work that we've done, but it's what he did on the cross once and for all. For anybody close to God, far away, in church, out of church, in person, online, no, no matter where we're at, he did the work. Our job is to surrender. Dear Jesus, if this is you, pray this part of the prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe you're alive today. And as best as I know how, I ask you to forgive me of my sins and save me. Be the leader of my life pray that for the very first time, there's something that happens inside of you where he changes our hearts. Father, I pray this morning you would cause courage to rise. Where there's discouragement, I pray that you would just bring hope. 
God, help us to quit trying. Help us to quit holding on to it. Help us to be people that surrender. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.